You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. Well, I promised you I was starting a series on energy, energy projects, and specifically the North Dakota Department of Commerce's role in that very important topic and subject matter. So today is really the second installment of that series, and I'm excited to let you know that I have Rich Garman back, Director of Economic Development and Finance for Department of Commerce, and Tom Oakland, the Energy and Economic Coordination Office Manager for the Department of Commerce. And if if you're paying attention to the news, there's been a couple of really significant announcements as it, as it relates to North Dakota energy-related projects. And maybe one of the most significant was just a couple of days ago, the announcement of the Heartland Hydrogen Hub. And I did a little bit of research, is, is my nature, and I actually learned quite a bit about hydrogen and the significance of this project. And, and actually, the more research I did, I ended up scratching my head more because it prompted me to have questions that we might not get to today because it probably someone else that I should probably pose those questions to. But this is a very significant announcement and partnership for the state of North Dakota, really the country, quite frankly. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome back to Mike Seminary and friend, Rich and Tom. Rich and Tom, it's great to see you. How are you? And Rich, I'm going to start with you. How are you, Rich? I'm great. Great, Mike. Thanks for having us again. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm great to see both of you. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing well, Mike. It's great to be on the show again, and especially considering the announcements that were made in the last week since we first spoke. It's, it's a exciting time right now. Well, I, I was I almost almost giddy when I saw the announcement. I, I don't know a lot about hydrogen. I know a little bit about green. Now I should say about about green, gray and blue hydrogen, how they're produced, what's, what makes one of them cleaner than the others. But I've always been kind of fascinated because not too long ago, I had read that, now this is somewhat off topic, that when hydrogen fuel cells for transportation, particularly cars, uh, become uh, practical, and that them, them existing and practical are two completely different things, but that it pretty much would make electric transportation, specifically cars, almost obsolete because of the type of um, technology involved in producing hydrogen fuel cells, um, the recharging capabilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was really excited to see that here in North Dakota, we have the Heartland Hydrogen Hub announcement. Rich, I'm going to start with you. So we have a, a MOU between the states of North Dakota, Montana, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. All governors signed. Actually, they I think they established their MOU almost a year ago, maybe. But the project award or announcement was just, you know, the past few days. So from your experience, Rich, let me ask you this question first. Why that particular group of states um, in terms of, you know, because as I understand the way this project will work and it's, it's, it's use of fossil fuels in the generation of the, the end product, which we'll get to in a little bit. I, I really get it when it comes to North Dakota, right? You know, we're the second or third, whatever it is, um, greatest producer of oil and gas in, in the country. Of course, we have coal resources, as does Montana. 
so help me understand the involvement if if you if you have it between Minnesota and Wisconsin with regards to this particular partnership. Sure. Um, and first disclaimer for all of my answers. Um, I will defer and 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 stand corrected by any of my extremely intelligent colleagues at EERC. Um, they're the ones that that own this. And and Tom and I are eagerly awaiting the opportunity to to roll out with projects that are related to this. But with that being said, I put that disclaimer on there that so that if Dr. Kalk or somebody like that wants to correct me, I'm I'm I'm, I'm all in on that. But first of all, I think just understanding what a hydrogen hub really is. And it took me a while to figure this out as well. I've I've been a power plant guy my whole life, and that's a site, right? That's that's a Coal Creek, that's a Leland Olds, that's a whatever. Um, a hydrogen hub is a network or an ecosystem of producers, consumers, and local infrastructure. It's not just about making the hydrogen; it's about making it, transporting it, and using it. Um, so, with that in mind, and it's also so we need all four of those states to cover all four of those areas. Sure, North Dakota will be very efficient at making hydrogen from natural gas. Um, other parts of that four state consortium will be efficient at making hydrogen in in, in greener ways, like from electrolysis of water. Um, you left one color off the table and that's pink hydrogen, Mike. And pink is um, hydrogen derived from electrolysis, but derived from nuclear power. And um, Wisconsin and Minnesota bring that to the table. I believe that's part of the part of the Heartland Hydrogen Hub is okay. is the assets that that they can bring to the table in the nuclear realm. So it's a it's an ecosystem across those four states, and all four of us need all four of us. The, you know, any one of us need the other three in order to make that ecosystem work. Um, so we're one one cog in the machine of of those four states. And actually, I believe. Although not a not a signatory to the uh, memorandum of understanding, I believe South Dakota is involved somewhat in some of the uh, some of that uh, hydrogen hub ecosystem. Although not not a signatory to the four state consortium, some of their assets will be involved. I, I believe they'll be involved in, in the in the process as well. So understanding that it's a it's it's a network, not just not just a facility. That's that's how and that's why it's a four state consortium. So. So. That, that helps me. And, and I didn't ask that question to be dismissive at all of the state. I mean, if, if for no other reason, Minnesota no, yes. should be involved because of Excel Energy and their role in, uh, in in this entire project. I should back up just half a step and talk about, at least optically, what I think mm -hmm. is one of the most significant private-public partnerships that, that I've seen for some time. Um, so we have, first of all, the federal government, and then we have uh, four governors that have teamed up. And, and then th this, which has created some uh, contention and controversy in the activist side of the discussion when it comes to energy in our country anymore, they're really offended about this because they think this is... Um, they're they're giving too much money. It's a, it's another big oil ha uh, money handout. Is is some of the press headlines that I've seen. But let me cover a couple of the partners. Uh, so I, I'm just mentioned the the federal government and the four governors. And, and thank you, Rich. You mentioned South Dakota. Then we have UND's EERC. I really shouldn't say UND because it. It's there, but it's it's a separate entity. The sure. Energy Environmental Research Center, which was established, I think, in '51, and just does rock star kind of work. They are absolutely one of the most amazing assets in the energy play, but particularly for North Dakota. Then Marathon Petroleum Corporation. Now, let's see. Oh, I had numbers here somewhere. They're, anyway, they're they're a huge company. TC Energy, Excel Energy. We also have the Manan Hadatsa Arikara uh, tribe involved. And I didn't realize this, this uh, Sumitomo, if I'm saying that right, Corporation Sumitomo. of America. Sumitomo. Yeah. Thank you, Sumitomo, which is, you know, 
uh, out of Osaka, Japan. And this was, in terms of their participation, I think this was part of the the uh, governor's trip or the delegation from North Dakota about a year ago where they mm-hmm. met and they talked about this and other opportunities. And then, and then there are some others. So this is a big, big deal. Um, significant private sector companies uh, uh with huge revenues, lots of employees that understand the business, EERC, the states of North Dakota, obviously the private players that are are, are involved in in all this. Tom, to you, in terms of your role with, with the uh, with the Commerce Department, what do you see in in terms of your your office and your responsibilities? What do you see you and your team doing? in partnering with EERC and the others as as this gets going, and we realize it will be a while, but as this gets going, what do you anticipate your role could be? Well, Mike, I can I can state right, right off the get-go what my role, and I, I'm sure Rich would agree with this, has been since the announcement. It's only been a few days or a week ago today, actually, is we are fielding a lot of interest from other uh, other companies across the country that as soon as this information was released, now they're looking at places to locate. And there's, it's a, there's a common question. Of course, anytime there, there's federal dollars coming through, it's a matter of how, how they could maybe become a part of it. Right. Well, these federal dollars of this, it's $925 million that was awarded. And these dollars are not, direct pay, these dollars are reimbursed to the companies with the projects in the proposal. So that's one thing that's really important to understand is that though this is a substantial amount of money, it's it's going to help assist in the, the capex of the projects that are going to, to jump in on this initial Heartland hydrogen hub. Now, there's other interests from other companies that want to come and locate and that's where it goes back to what Rich had just stated earlier, the definition of a hub. It's it's not one operation that has one product they're pumping out and then a user buys that product. This is the start of creating a market for hydrogen. And the beauty of having it located in our five-state region is that you've got three colors of hydrogen available. We've got the, the ability to do blue pink and green hydrogen. So with that, I think our role at Commerce will be taking all the interest from various companies across the country and trying to make the right introductions between leaders to make this market start flowing. Like it's it's not going to happen overnight. This is a, I believe it's a, a 10-year process through this this, this hydrogen hub proposal. So it's going to be multiple payments, multiple phases. And in each of those phases comes the need for manufacturing of products. Like if you think about all the equipment that goes into these industrial facilities, there's, there's multiple other companies that will have to come locate nearby or at least supply the supply chain um, to make this happen. So Commerce will be extra busy in the hydrogen business because of the success of EERC and those three partners in getting this hub started. I bet your phone's almost ringing off the wall because clean energy is the future, right? And I noticed that as you walk through the three, the green, pink, and blue, you didn't mention gray. And I, I'm going to assume one of the reasons um, gray might not be long-term on the list, again, this is my very, very basic understanding, is gray does not capture emissions like blue does. So consequently, if you're not capturing the emissions, you're not going to be nearly as clean. And this type of production system or process would make that almost obsolete in time. Is that kind of an accurate thought process that I have with regards to the 
three, actually four types of hydrogen production? It, it is very accurate. You, you have to keep in mind that most every Department of Energy grant out there currently, grant or uh, method of funding projects for energy, is out there for the purpose of, of lowering the carbon intensity. And for them to spend money to produce gray hydrogen would, would not go along with that narrative. They, the, the goal of this was to start a market of hydrogen without that intensive carbon emission, which is what most hydrogen has been produced with. It's been from natural gas mm -hmm. and you're releasing carbon dioxide in the process. So this, this opens up a lot of markets, not just for energy. You've got agriculture as well with fertilizer production. Uh, we we have a great environment here in North Dakota and in the Midwest to make this very viable. And I think it, it makes perfect sense that Heartland was one of the seven chosen. Help, help me understand. And I'll come back to that question. So there's $7 billion. No, I better ask now or I'll forget. Tom, you, you mentioned that it's it's not a, like a, a direct handout of the money it, it's actually a reimbursement almost for, for lack of better terminology how do you have any idea or is it too early to explain how that actually will work in the end for the partners that are involved well like i can say from my discussions with folks at the eerc that it's and this is important for the for everyone to understand it when it's not direct pay the reason they would make it not, not direct pay is for the purpose of making sure it gets built. Like if the, if the payment comes through and then there could be the excuse of rising costs or supply chain problems, a, a delay, there's all sorts of issues that can kill a project right now. Direct pay has that risk. But if it's a reimbursement, the beauty of that is you know the three partners that propose these these projects, they they have belief in the success of these projects because they're not they're not getting a grant upfront in hopes that it works out. They're putting more money than the Department of Energy is giving them in, as reimbursement to build out the capital to make these projects happen, and they're getting a portion of that money back. Mm -hmm. In this case, for the Heartland, I believe it's a three to one ratio. Three to one is it's substantial. It'd be very helpful for any of us that are wanting to to build something. If you get a dollar for every three you spend, that's like getting it on sale for 25% off. But that doesn't mean that it was free. That doesn't mean that it's 100% subsidized. That tells you that TC Energy, Marathon, and Excel have a, an optimistic view of their business plans for this hub proposal. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tom. Rich, um, this question will be f for you and probably actually two of them. I'll tee it up this way. You know, EERC established in the early 50s, 51, 52, something like that. It's been around a long time. And they do remarkable research and work. Um, and, and they're great at raising money because that's what they have to do all the time, raise money for their projects. I'm assuming this hub probably wouldn't exist or wouldn't be one of the seven had it not been for the role of EERC because they're, they're that important player. Is that a fair statement to make, maybe? I think it's a very fair statement, Mike. Um, I, I believe EERC, I mean, they they drove the bus on this um, from start to finish. And... Um, also, I mean, although they're located in North Dakota, they're a internationally recognized expert in their field. I was touring some uh, national labs out in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And when they heard you're from North Dakota, they were just like, oh, hey, you're from that state that has has this tremendous lab there. And so it, it has international respect. And and that's awesome to, to be a part of. But they still have North Dakota roots, too, which is awesome because – North Dakota, the EERC located in Grand Forks, North Dakota, drove this application process. That's important. Um, 
that's why it looks like it does. And that's why North Dakota's figured prominently, figures prominently in, in the hub. And that's that's all thanks to them. I mean, they, they did a great job. And they brought together, like I said, I didn't read through all of the hubs, but, but by far the Heartland Hydrogen Hub really brings together all the different colors of the hydrogen rainbow, you know, and that's that's due to their their amazing work. And that's to North Dakota's benefit because now we'll get to utilize some of North Dakota's greatest uh, greatest assets in their natural gas and and others. So, my my follow up question and thanks for that information, Rich. And and maybe this isn't a fair question to ask of you because you don't work at the EERC, but you're a pretty smart guy. How long have they been conducting research in hydrogen? Oh, I'm going to plead the fifth on that. I'm not because it'll incriminate me. It'll just incriminate my intelligence here, but I, I don't know, Mike, but I know that they've been, they've been instrumental in so many things. Um, and we'll, we'll jump off of hydrogen maybe for a second, carbon capture and sequestration. They, they've been, they've been the leading, you know, agency on that. I'm going to hazard a guess, Tom, 25, 40 years. I don't know. Um, hydrogen hydrogen research has been around for a very, very, very long time. Um, when I started my career in the early 90s, uh, the company I worked for was was testing out hydrogen cell pickups and things like that, pickup trucks and service vehicles, and, and it never really got moving. I would assume that EERC has been around, I mean, dabbling in hydrogen at least that long, and dabble is probably not the right word, but researching hydrogen at least that long, so... We'll save that question for Dr. Kulik. How about that? So, good idea. Yeah, I would echo that. the the uh, The couple of days before the the announcement was made, I was in I was in Houston for a hydrogen conference, and one of the speakers got up, and his introduction for himself was talking about finishing his uh, senior paper in college in the seventies on hydrogen and how it's the the fuel of the future. You know. At, this has been ongoing for many, many, many years. And I, I want to also jump back to your previous question as far as EERC. Would this hub be be chosen of the seven without them? I think it's more than the hub proposal. I would agree with Rich's comment that they were instrumental in making this a success. But you could also go as far as saying the reason North Dakota and this five-state region was chosen was because we have the ability to do blue hydrogen. And the reason we have the ability to do blue hydrogen is because we have the research yeah. completed and the permitting available for, for carbon dioxide storage, which is also due to the EERC and their history going way back into the 90s before we talked about sequestration, they had all the research started, and that's why we have our our primacy for that carbon storage. So I would I would yep. definitely say that he's responsible for this being a success. Absolutely. I gotta find my notes on something here when it comes to the hubs. You just said something that piqued my curiosity. Um, in terms of primacy, the only other state is Wyoming. Is that correct? That that is correct, sir. And so Wyoming is in which hub? I thought they were in one of them. Um, I've got a map here. So there's the Pacific Northwest, Midcontinent. They they are not listed as being in a hub. No, Wyoming just... is is one of the hubs that was not chosen, which okay. was very surprising. And you know this this is all just our uh, our guesses here as to why, but. They have the ACES Delta project in the Wyoming area that is ongoing right now. Okay. Their, electro their electrolyzers were delivered in the last couple of weeks, the first round. And, and that's all public knowledge that they've got salt caverns for storage, something the EERC is working on as we speak to for North Dakota. So I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't discredit their efforts right now. They're actually... They're they're ongoing with with hydrogen projects already, despite not having the hub proposal. Okay. So it says seven billion dollars 
for seven hubs in ballpark. And it's expected to produce 3 million tons of hydrogen and annually, which will contribute to the reduction of 25 million metric tons of carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide annually. So here, here's my next question. In the release from Secretary Granholm, she had talked about how if this works according to plan, that within 10 years, this could produce, because of that goal, expected to produce 3 million tons of hydrogen annually, and then reducing 25 million metric tons of carbon dioxide annually, that this could potentially produce 100,000 clean energy jobs. And I have no reason to dispute that at all. That sounds actually kind of low to me. So I'm curious about this, and maybe not fair to ask you, but I will. You know, so that's you know over fourteen thousand jobs per hub. Would a good percentage of those new jobs created stay within the hubs? It's an interesting question, Mike. Um, I'm going to say not necessarily. Because the hubs are going to be the the developers of the hydrogen. And I'm sure I'm looking at a map right now that's color coded with the different hubs on it. And there's a lot of gray area on the map that that aren't part of any particular hub. I don't believe that the DOE is writing the gray parts of that map off of using hydrogen. So I, I believe that there's going to be infrastructure and commerce going on in those states as well as a result of these hubs. So I think that my my guess is either that number is your question was kind of two parts is a hundred thousand or fourteen thousand per hub all going to happen in the hub maybe but i would say also that there's going to be a lot of employment generated outside of the hubs as well in order to to be a part of that nationwide hydrogen ecosystem okay. so but here's my next question, and I'll direct it to you, Tom. It, in its most simplistic uh, form, the end product of the hub will be to provide clean energy for uh, transportation fuels, w whether it's airplane or vehicles. It, for generating electricity for commerce in terms of, you know, complexes, buildings, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be used in industry for production of steel and other products that require energy and clean forms of energy. So maybe that's the other part of it. Maybe that just helped me answer my first question, Rich, is that a lot of those clean energy jobs could also be in the markets where they actually have the production in this case, if you're a steel fabricator and you're in a state that isn't one of the hubs, you could obviously benefit from it. So back to the my question for you, um, Tom. How do you see, in terms of commerce's role, helping uh, roll out in concert with EERC and the partners, how do you see commerce's role in uh, affecting this opportunity? Well, I would say that going back to the conversation about jobs would be a big one in the aspect that we, we have our workforce division here at Commerce that is actively working on bringing more folks into the state to fill the jobs we have open right now. And with this with this announcement, like you had mentioned, there's a lot of jobs that fall within this industry. Where they're located physically, it, it can vary tremendously. Our 
our existing power plants and oil field, for example, there's the, there's the indirect to direct job ratio. And it's substantial depending on what, what industry you're in. It's as high as 10 to one. So with this, with this announcement and with these operations with, within the five state region, it's going to bring interest for manufacturers and frequently commerce is the first first person called the first department called by these companies to find out where is it best to locate and that's where our our role gets a little tricky because right now the state has 30,000 open jobs currently yet we have all these companies wanting to come and build new facilities which will only create more so i think our role is going to be to to, to help Again, make the right introductions, bring the right people together to make these these new operations successful, and a lot of which is going to be based upon where they're located. Hmm. And beyond that, you've also got the market. You know, the, the, we're producing hydrogen of the three colors across. Again, not all in North Dakota; it's across these these multiple states. But that creates the need for demand of their product, and that's another entire entirely new. Uh, business as well, because you've got the users of hydrogen, whether it's for transportation or whether it's for energy. And the one uh, major benefit that I'd like to highlight there is the fact that we we are an exporter of energy. I think I mentioned it in the last discussion we had. A third of our electricity produced comes from intermittent wind energy. Therefore, having an energy storage mechanism like hydrogen makes a lot of sense in our location. So I think for us here with within commerce and within the eco office here is just trying to find the right fit for these, these new partners that want to come to our area. You mentioned uh, storage we have, and this has been discussed for some time, very public in the state of North Dakota, we have more than adequate supply uh, below the surface for storing carbon. And but here's my my question with regards to the blue hydrogen end product. Moving it from point A to point B, do we use the same grid system that we have now? And it's interesting because I think there was another announcement for EERC with regards to the grid not too long ago. I think, do, do we use the existing grid or does that also require modification and updates as we shift to blue hydrogen sources? And I'll, I'll let whoever wants to run with that, run with it. So by grid, I assume you're talking, you're just talking the transportation method. Yes. Of yes. Uh, so with hydrogen, it, it does bring in more complication in terms of how how we move it. And there's multiple ways to move it right now. It's utilized quite a bit in California and in Texas with pipelines. Uh, there's also making ammonia with it, which is very common to be used as a mechanism to move hydrogen and fertilizer, of course. It depends on what you're using that ammonia for. But with within uh within the state of north dakota we've got gas pipelines and there's a lot of research right now going on all over the world to blending hydrogen with natural gas and utilizing it in the existing infrastructure so that's where you could use our existing grid our existing pipelines to move hydrogen uh, there's areas right now I just just heard here last week while well, in Houston there's pipelines in in Texas that are working on blending as high as 15 to 20 percent hydrogen with natural gas and utilizing it in the same mechanism we use natural gas today so the testing is not just on the pipelines it's it's actually the appliances and the users whether it affects the operations so there's going to be a blend of new, entirely new methods to transport, whether it's pipelines direct, pressure vessels, or maybe it's blending and use, utilizing it in our existing infrastructure. Yeah. Tom, another thing there too is um, on the hydrogen, 
the more hydrogen, okay, if we produce hydrogen from natural gas, if we continue that value add chain in North Dakota, it makes life that much, it's much, it's not much better. Um, and a good example is, is, uh, is a pig iron plant, right? Um, uh, pig iron uses a significant amount of hydrogen um, in their process, both for fuel and for process. So using that, uh, that hydrogen up front and adding value to have, using it to add value to another product it is an even less troublesome way. I don't need pipelines then. I don't need as much pipeline then, but it's, it's part of the solution. It's not the solution, but it's part of the solution is to use that hydrogen in North Dakota as well to add value to other processes. So, Absolutely. And that's where we, we would come in to help out with if there is a user of hydrogen rather than work on infrastructure for transportation is take them to the source, maybe locate next door. And now you don't have to, to transport it. You've, you've got your user right there. Rich, help me with something. The only pig iron I'm really familiar with is at the annual pig roast at the lake. <laughs> A big pig on a big spit, and I think we're cooking it for about eight, ten, twelve hours. So, but I don't think that's the pig iron you're talking about. What What is the pig iron you just referenced? It's not, and I'll start explaining it, and then I'll let Tom jump in because it's his project. I had to do the Wikipedia what is pig iron as soon as Tom told me about the project. And pig iron um, basically is um, is um, a term in the iron industry. It's basically iron ore ingots. That are smelted and then sent off to other 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 refining processes into the steel industry. So any more than that, Tom, you're gonna have to talk to Tom because it's he's the expert. Yeah, do you want to run with that a little bit, Tom? Sure. It's a product right now that the steel manufacturers must have as an input to make steel. And currently the United States imports pig iron. We import it from all over the world. We are dependent on other countries, yet we do have resources locally. And we've had interest to come to the state of North Dakota to produce it. Therefore, we could feed our own steel manufacturers in the U.S. and eliminate that need for importing iron from elsewhere, which isn't just a matter of uh, a cost savings potential, but it's a security uh, enhancement. You're not mm. requiring uh you're, you're not you're not reliant on other countries for that production and i think that's a that's a great example because that is not a project that is due to the federal government putting money into the hydrogen industry that's a project that makes sense because we need it and we have a demand for it and if you if you look up in the news, the, the amount of infrastructure across the United States that needs updating right now, all of it requires steel, a lot of steel. So the demand's only going to go up. We might want to look at finding the, the sources to make it locally right here so we're not dependent on other countries. Hmm. I still like the pig iron. I'm familiar with a little bit more, just so you know, it makes a great sandwich, great lunch. Tom, when it comes to the inquiries that you get, especially after announcements like this, at what point along the relationship building process, so I, I call you uh, and I'm, you know, I my my company is located in Poughkeepsie, New York, or something, and I have an interest in what's happening in North Dakota. And we're talking, and I'm I'm thinking about this is a good this really mirrors our strategic plan and our our growth, and we're going to more than likely, you know, put a stake in the ground somewhere in North Dakota. At what point in time during those conversations does workforce? get addressed because I'm, I'm you got to have that conversation no matter what state you're in how early on typically do you have that conversation about the talent that you're looking for the talent that you bring and then that gap that might need to be filled i would say it depends on the project you know some of them are, are more startups where maybe workforce is not yet 
on the top of their bullet list, but we are, we try to bring it into the very first conversation because a lot of times that's something that's overlooked, which is becoming less frequent now, just because of the, we're all, we're all watching the amount of closures you see of public service companies that it's, you know, we're closed today because we don't have employees. It's, it's becoming a, a major issue across the country. So we bring it up immediately in terms of how many jobs, because it used to be, and keep in mind, I've, I'm just about to hit two years with commerce here, so I'm fairly new to economic development, but it's pretty common for a company to, in their sales pitch, to talk about the number of jobs they will bring to an area. There, there's two things there, the number of jobs, but then also the wage levels. You want to bring not just lots of jobs, but high paying jobs. And that's how you sell your project. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic because now we're getting to the point where we're trying to incentivize companies to automate and not maybe not need as many jobs because we have too many open jobs right now. So we bring it up early and how we deal with it. A lot of times is based on you know, explaining to them the regions of the, of the state, the regions of, of the area, like population bases and so forth. But what really works well is making um, introductions to different entities across the state that could help out with it, such as the the local colleges and universities that are maybe going to feed that industry with the skilled the skilled trades that they need. And so that's one way that we've done it, and it works really well. We've got the we've got Bismarck State College right here in Bismarck area that is working on their Polytechnic Institute. That is a big sales pitch for us with new companies coming to the state because they are willing to talk early on. If their project's three years away, that's fine. That's perfect. Tell them what trades you need, and they can actually build a curriculum for that purpose right there. And the other thing that we're pushing too is to, to talk to the project managers in terms of maybe consider working with the universities and colleges with a tuition reimbursement if you come work for us. And it doesn't have to be in the just in North Dakota. It can be in the multi-state region. And that may bring in people from out of state as well if you end up getting your college paid for, that's a heck, that's a pretty good deal right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing I'll bring up, which has been very fruitful as well, is making introductions to the tribes across the state. Uh, the one area that we do have higher unemployment rates is on the tribal areas across North Dakota. And so each of those, each, each tribe has uh, uh, schools that could also have that same conversation like we do with our local colleges and universities to encourage students to go into certain fields because we have high paying jobs in these industries. So that's another avenue to help out with it too. While we're on this, let me throw out a follow-up question. In terms of the, the players that are part of this unique and very important partnership, Marathon Petroleum, TC Energy, uh, XL. Uh, you mentioned the tribes, and then Sumitomo. Am I saying that right? Sumitomo. Yes. Sumitomo. So those companies, which represent an international partnership, and I, I'm going to assume that there's somewhere around 120,000 employees, something, you know, that might be kind of high between Marathon and Sumitomo and Excel and TC Energy. So TC's out of Canada, Marathon out of the States, Sumitomo, Osaka, um, and Excel, of course, based out of Minnesota. Is there ever discussion about some of their positions that might be transferable or transportable, bringing them to a place like North Dakota where this opportunity exists. Do you get involved in those kind of conversations at all? Tom? I I actually have not been involved in too many of those as far as bringing them in from other states or other countries. It It's more so a matter of finding that next generation as they're stepping up into, into their education and, and trying to 
explain where there's going to be a need for these jobs. And, and so I think that's that's been more of the focus than transferring from other areas. Mike, can I interject one thing here too? Um, kind of the, the third and the fourth leg of the stool that we started down here, you know, economic development and finance, that's Tom and my team. You know, we got a whole team that, that, that take care of that. Uh, Tom mentioned workforce development. There's two other key elements there too. Um, first being uh, community development, community services. We have to have a place for these folks to live. If we do convince folks to come here and go to work and build and do all these things, they have to have a a place to live that they desire to live. Um, we don't want people living out of their cars in Walmart parking lots like we have through a few of the booms in in, in North Dakota. We don't want to go back there. Um, so that's another leg of the stool in commerce is community development and making sure these communities are prepared for this very massive development that can happen and will happen in some of these communities. And then the the other part of that is uh, tourism too. That That's ensuring that they have things to do when they get here. You know, they have a quality of life that they want to experience when they get here too, because it's not necessarily, I mean, we're, we, we, we will be recruiting people to come to North Dakota to go to work and you have to have something to offer them. You have to offer them a job. You have to offer them a, a desirable place to live and you have to ha- offer them things to do in the state. And so all of commerce is part of this. It's, it's an all in process. So. so I'm glad you brought up the, the boom rich because I was kind of thinking that way when mm-hmm. I asked Tom the question, because I remember what we all went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all of a sudden here was this great opportunity, two technologies that changed the entire industry and North Dakota became a, a global player in the exploration and production and transportation of oil and natural gas. And a lot of those companies brought in skilled people, but they still needed a lot of labor. And we went through that at times uncomfortable growing process that we went through. So that's one of the reasons I asked, asked the question. This seems, and, and maybe it's just ignorance on my part, this seems while it might be somewhat similar, that it requires maybe a bit more technologically savvy type of workforce because of the work. Is is that a, a correct observation, Tom or Rich? Well, I, I would say it depends on which phase you're talking. Because yeah. like any any project, you're going to start off with construction phase and that construction phase is going to entail all types of workers. Many times that's not your permanent residence, right? They, they travel quite frequently for that, but the the construction phase will definitely be a whole variety. Now, as far as the, uh, when we're in, when, when these projects are actually up in operation, you are going to have all types of, of uh, skilled, uh, highly trained technical jobs available. Not just that. It's not just these three companies we're talking about. You're talking about all the all the companies that come to assist to keep their operations up and running, whether it's a manufacturing facility or a uh, engineering firms that are next door trying to work out the projects as they they entail with as they come upon issues and so forth. There's going to be all types of jobs that follow with this. Mm-hmm. But if you're comparing it to the Bakken boom, yeah, it would it would be different in terms of the uh, this the two weeks on, two weeks off type of you know fly in, fly out type of thing. It would be more construction, you know, large construction projects to start. Well, and Mike too, and Tom and I, you know, Tom was in the energy industry 15 plus years. I was in there 30 plus years. The amount of change that you saw in those years in in the in the power industry from from hands-on to more automated was pretty tremendous. And if you build a plant from scratch, you're going to see a state-of-the-art as much as is practical automation of a plant as possible. Um, and it's there for many reasons. It's there It's there for less need for, for such intensive workforce, and it's there for safety reasons. You don't put people in, in hazard's way. And it's there for a lot of reasons, but you're going to see a lot more automation in these state-of-the-art plants because they're going to be brand new. So whatever the state-of-the-art of 2024, 5, 6 is, is what you're going to see going into these plants. So, One of the things that I love about – I'm going to pause and ask you this question first. 
So the announcement was just earlier this week. How long have the two of you and your your staff, your team, how long have you known that this is actually something that's a work in progress, if, if you're allowed to share that information? The hydrogen hub pursuit? Yes. I, I would say early tw- uh, mid mid twenty one probably Tom oh. is when we first and and I think EERC was working working in yeah. the background prior to that but then we got rolled in probably early to mid twenty one. Well, ever since probably the notice of funding twenty two, so ever since ever since the funding notification as an yeah. opportunity came out, those are those are highlights that we for sure. If we're not reading them in the news, somebody's sending it to me. We're, we're learning about it. And as soon as that comes out, the conversations start up. And yes, it's been ongoing. You, you have to keep in mind, Heartland, Heartland Hydrogen Hub is one. But there's multiple other hubs. Even, even of the five states that are involved in this, those five states, the, the MOU does not specify. Excuse me. That they have one hub that they're involved in. They can be involved in as many as they want. So, this th- th- this has been ongoing since the very the, the 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 initial press release of that notification of funding. Sure. And that was over a year ago. Yes, over a year well, ago. Well, well over a year ago. Yes. And then, if you know that the trade mission to Japan again about a year ago was that one of the primary purposes of the trip to work with uh, the leadership at Sumitomo? Um, I can give you a little background on that, on that, Mike, Uh, specifically Sumitomo, and then maybe a little bit on the trade mission. Uh, Sumitomo, we met with them for the first time. We, some, some folks from commerce, uh, myself, commissioner, and uh, another, another uh, person in leadership met with Sumitomo in Houston, almost two years ago um, in early 22, very early 22. And um, we met with four different Japanese companies that had bases in Houston. And we just wanted to introduce North Dakota. That was our entire objective is to introduce our and introduce North Dakota and discuss how that those particular companies might find success in North Dakota and come build in North Dakota. And Sumitomo jumped at the chance. Um, they immediately actually asked us if we would sign a memorandum of understanding with them. So the Department of Commerce, State of North Dakota, signed a memorandum of understanding with Sumitomo Corporation. And and all it really says is we have common goals to build these projects that have a a, a smaller carbon footprint. And so we, we commit to work together on these. Nothing legal, just, you know, just kind of a feel good thing. And they initiated that and we signed that. It's the first time we've ever done that. But it worked out. Um, Sumitomo has been in the state no less than 25, 30 times since then, working on various projects, some of which we know about, some of which we don't know about, because they have they have some that are still um, behind NDAs that we're not a part of. Sure. And they're here a lot and they're going to they're going to make a make a difference here. Now, the, the mission to Japan didn't necessarily revolve around Sumitomo. It was many, many Japanese industries. I think they met with, I don't know, several dozen, for lack of a better number, industries inside of about about a week. And we had a contingent of folks from North Dakota, private and public, I think close to 30 people that traveled over there and met with and discussed with several Japanese companies about, about their potentially investing in North Dakota projects and their potentially, you know, kicking off and running some North Dakota projects. And to date, Sumitomo is one of the bigger ones that has come come to the state. There are others. Um, Mitsubishi is a big one, and there's several others that that, that I either can't mention or or don't remember. Um, but yeah, that 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 tr- that trip that the Governor Burgum took with a contingent of others was very successful. Brought a lot of attention and, and showed a lot of similarities between Japan and North Dakota, and a lot of synergies between Japan and North Dakota too. And, you know, we had what they need, they had what they, and they have what we need. And so it was a very successful mission. And in fact, it'll probably spur more missions in the future. Um, There will be several missions. I I think they're, they're going to endeavor to do, I think every other year, uh, a governor led mission. 
And then every year, a, uh, a commissioner-led mission, that'd be our boss, Josh, um, going out on missions to different countries. I think they have Brazil in their sites. Um, and, and there's a few others too, but they're, they're planning for those actively. Some of those missions are, are for project work. Some of those are for capital investment. And there's been talk too of workforce missions as well. You know, do we go to a location where the workforce, you know, would have a desire to come to North Dakota and go to work? So, so lots, lots of opportunity there. Uh, thanks, Rich. One of the reasons I'd ask the question is about three weeks, maybe a month prior to that trade mission trip, I had been invited to a dinner at Mezzaluna sure. with um a number of representatives from the Japanese uh, consulate and trade office that were here. I mean, I don't remember anybody from Sumitomo, but that doesn't mean they weren't there. So I was just kind of curious. So so what are the next steps for you guys and your team? Uh, And I'll go to you first, Tom. What are your your next steps with regards to this specific project? Well, the first thing is to educate ourselves as much as we possibly can on each of the company's projects. You know, right now, this proposal is still, you know, fairly quiet public. It's not out publicly and it's understandable. They've got large projects in specific areas that they want to, they want to happen. And so they're working on all the, the uh, specific details in the background and the announcement has been less than a week ago. So therefore there's still some negotiations going on. Like I think you mentioned earlier, $7 billion. Well, it was over $8 billion in the fund. And the, the announcement came through at 925 million for the Heartland hub, but yet they actually had asked for more than that. Right? So how does that affect their projects? They're, they're going to have some negotiations ongoing right now and working out those fine details, which could could change scope. Who knows? That at this point, we're just speculating. So until we know more detail, we're we're really just going to be fielding calls and trying to make the right uh, folks, well, introduce the right folks to the right people as they have interest in jumping in to to help serve these hub projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that, and then there's also I'd say the even more important part is doing what we're doing right now with you, Mike, which we really appreciate this opportunity, is to talk about this, answer the questions of the public, any concerns from the public as well, because any project can be a great, it can be the greatest project out there, but it doesn't take much false information to to kill a project publicly. And so, it's it's a good thing to talk about what's going on why is this going on talk about hydrogen and how it's it's very beneficial to north dakota residents like we didn't even really touch on the fertilizer consumption in our state and how hydrogen could assist in that with farmers across the state and also even a a little bit about the the uh, technology in terms of uh what could we use it for as far as a fuel is passenger vehicles the right right way to use it or is is uh, air travel, aviation fuel? There's a lot of different discussions to have, but it's. I think oftentimes uh, there can be a negative pushed out there before any positives able to be talked about. So we appreciate having this this yeah. ability to talk to you about this and put this out to the public. So Tom, the the things that you just listed there, in terms of this is you know the early early stages. It's pretty clear that EERC's role and the ongoing body of research and the historical body that they have, the ongoing research moving forward will be critically important for the success of this, maybe all of them, I don't know, but clearly for this one, their ongoing research in terms of the best use, the best players, to your point, that's critically important for the success, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Very important. And if you want proof of that, just look at our existing industries. Look at look at our coal-fired power plants in Western North Dakota. How much research has the EERC with both private and public funds done to keep our cost of power low, keep our production up, 
keep our environment clean, it's it's extremely crucial. And I think that adding hydrogen to the mix, it's like we're we're, we're diversifying our production. It doesn't mean we're we're not taking away and replacing. We're adding a new one. And having options to purchase, having in any any industry, if you, the more options you have, typically, the more cost competitive it gets. And that's such a crucial benefit we have in this right now. So I, I, I appreciate having the time to talk about this and hopefully educate the public or anybody that has questions on, on why we're doing it and why the state has such a focus on this. Well, to that end, if people have questions or want more information, what should they do, Tom? Well, they can absolutely reach out to their local leadership, uh, reach out, and um, they can reach out to Commerce as well. Look at our website online. We have quite a quite a bit of information as far as what's what's ongoing in each of the divisions we talked about today. And I do get calls myself directly, even as far as conversations about what's happening in the the next project in this area and why we're doing it and so forth. So. But communication is key, is absolutely the most important thing. Rich, I'm going to ask you this question. Thank you, Tom. With this transformation that we're in from our current energy sources and uses and production and distribution and shifting to cleaner models, it's clear that hydrocarbons will have a role to play for a long time to come. It it pretty pretty important, and with partnerships like we've just put together. And by the way, congratulations, you guys! Because when we talked last, you knew about this, and you never said a thing when we were on Mike Seminary and Friends. You knew this was coming, and you guys were your lips were so tight. I don't remember you saying one thing about it. Now back to my question, Rich. Congratulations. The it would appear to me the role of North Dakota and partnerships like this will be even more important, not just in this project, but future projects to come. Is that a fair statement? Oh, absolutely, Mike. Um, you know, we, we, we use the term over and over and over again, all of the above. And I think people get sick of hearing all of the above, but it's so true. Um, North Dakota isn't going to take anything off the table. We're going to use every asset we have to produce the best, most reliable, um, most cost-effective, cleanest energy we can. Um, Hydrogen is going to be part of that now. Um, it, it's not going to replace. It's going to be part of. Um, and I think that's the important thing to, to understand is that it's going to be part of. Um, the, the beautiful part is that North, is that even before hydrogen, companies were knocking on our door at a rate that we couldn't keep up with to start with. Now with this hydrogen, it's going to be even better. North Dakota is going to become even more of a hub, bad terminology there, I guess, but a hub for these projects because now we have one more one more asset, one more thing to, to, to utilize and, and, and to point to. So it, North Dakota is never going to be uh, never going to be on the outside looking in. Um, I know Tom and I and actually everybody else at Commerce, we, we, we do as good a job as we can to go out into the world and represent North Dakota. And and I, I tell my boss all the time, we have to maintain a seat at the table. Um, if we don't maintain a seat at the table, I think somebody told me once, if you're not on the, if you're not on the guest list, you're on the menu, right? And um, North Dakota is working hard to stay at the table and become a part of and remain a part of all these conversations. Um, <clears throat> sometimes the conversations aren't exactly how we want them to go, but we have to we have to still take part in them, and and try to come up with the best solutions for North Dakota. Um, you you could have looked at some of these opportunities ten years ago, and and written off a lot of our hydrocarbons because you know if we were going to go this way, it would have written off the hydrocarbons. No, that's not what we did. We found significantly inventive ways. To, to maintain our entire energy portfolio and keep moving forward with at with, only by adding, not by subtracting. So, Well, guys, this has been really 
exciting for me and informative. Uh, thank you for providing me the information. So as I was doing my research, I could learn more. I, I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface today. I, I, before we conclude, are, are there points or there things you'd like to bring up that I didn't tee up for you? Is there anything else you want to add, Rich or Tom? All I can really do, uh, Mike, is reiterate what, what Tom said. It, the communication and education are the two key components. And and you're one of our major conduits right now. And we appreciate that so much from you to be able to to put the, the truth out there. Um, we're, we're trying to just keep just flood the airwaves with facts so that the so that the non-facts don't get don't get a foothold. So yeah. notice I didn't say lies. I said non-facts. So, so. I, I'd also like to just throw out one other uh, note, and that is and this is this is coming from my engineering background. But take this, especially if you're a parent of a young kid, take this as an opportunity. You can go online. And you can look up the latest technology and uses of hydrogen. It's it's a pretty amazing market. There's some awesome, inventive companies out there that are coming out with all kinds of new ways of utilizing hydrogen in safe and productive ways. And I, and I feel like this it, it's a it's a hot topic right now for us at Commerce when we look at the economics of it. But it's also a really interesting and fun technological advancement that we're, we're going to see and we're going to get to see it locally so i think it's a great learning item to to talk about our youth with in terms of what is happening like because this has been going on for like we said many years and this is probably the largest advancement for hydrogen development of those last 40 years we talked about yeah, there are other things i could have brought up for example i was going to ask you guys what is Fisher Trops hydrocarbons? But I didn't go there because I knew I'd probably struggle just pronouncing it. And so I didn't even touch it. There were other things I could have brought up, but it, it was just too much for me at my age. Hey guys, thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. This is this is an exciting time for uh, all of us. The future uh, is bright. And these kind of partnerships and opportunities that you're right in the middle of are significant game changers. And I appreciate your time sharing your knowledge and wisdom. I look forward to the next installment. And who knows what that'll be. We, we may have to bring somebody else on with us that could add some color commentary, maybe, in, in ways that will be beneficial for the, the listeners. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I look forward to the next one, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care.